उत्साध्यंते जाति धर्मा कुलधर्मा शाश्वत
Krishna very beautifully explains that this caste system is a very scientific system and it is not based on one's birth but it is decided based on one's guna and karma, one's qualities. Just like a doctor's son, he does not become a doctor just by taking birth in a doctor's family. No, he needs to undergo the education, the necessary qualifications. He has to put a lot of effort in going through the whole MBBS course and then get certified and then he becomes a doctor. Similarly, an engineer, he has to undergo the training and so much of knowledge and then when he's certified, he can build a lot of buildings and so many other things. So just like a doctor and an engineer is based on one's qualification, similarly, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Sudra, these different categories in the Varanas are not based on one's birth. They are based on one's qualifications. So, in the Vedic times, when the child is sent to the Gurukul, it is the responsibility of the Guru to identify the inclination of the child. Where is this child inclined to? Oh, this child is inclined towards studies. He wants to study a lot of things. He wants to understand and gain a lot of knowledge. So this person is fit to become a Brahmana. Because a Brahmana's main qualification is to understand knowledge, acquire a lot of knowledge. And they are the think tanks. They are the ones who guide the next level that are the administrators. So there are some people, their children who are very, very... Uh, powerful and they have a Kshatriya quality, they have a physical strength and they have the ability, the leadership ability and qualities, they naturally want to rule. So they were trained accordingly as Kshatriya and there are some class of people who wants to do business, they are very expert in understanding how to deal with different things in the world. So that is how business class, the Vaishya class was decided and then the Guru's responsibility is also to ensure that the fourth class that is the Shudra, they are also to be engaged and they are supposed to receive orders from the above three classes and they are also skilled laborers. They are very expert in doing certain things. So all these four categories is not the invention of the Vedic times. Even today if you, if you carefully see the whole society, the whole society is actually divided into four categories. There in this world, in our society, we also see there are people who are very knowledgeable. They are basically like scientists and uh, very great professors. So they are like the Brahmana, the, uh, the think tanks. And then we have the administrative class of people who are also, we also have soldiers. We also have politicians. So they are basically Kshatriya class. And then we have businessmen, they are Vaishya class. And then there are skilled laborers. We also see from a cobbler to a a tailor, from a coolie, everyone is required in the society but the society is naturally divided into these four categories. So Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra is not based on the birth but it is based on one's own qualification. But today because there is a conflict between one's own inclination, one's own Jati Dharma and what he is actually doing, there is a conflict between one's Guna and one's Karma. So then a person cannot become happy. 
Suppose my natural inclination is into music. I want to uh, really go deep into music. I want to understand the music. I want to uh, make my whole life uh, profession as well as my passion is to learn music. But then I am made to learn engineering or become a doctor. Then there is a conflict between my guna and my karma. And a person, when there is a conflict between guna and karma, he cannot become happy. And that is the reason why many people today are not happy in the society is also because what they actually want to do, their passion, that guna, is conflicting with what they are doing. And that is why we are a complete mismatch. Some For some people who are working into uh, some corporate world, for them, working into some companies and taking orders from boss is just not possible because their guna, by nature, they are either brahmanas or kshatriyas. They cannot take orders. But then what happens is they are they are made to fit into that kind of a, a system where there is a conflict between their guna and karma. And when at, at an individual level, when the person is not happy, when a, at an individual level, when a person is not satisfied, then there is disharmony in the family and in the society. So this percolates throughout the whole society because people are not satisfied. So that is why education is extremely important and we need to set appropriate things for appropriate people based on their guna and karma. And today because there is no such education, we lack this uh, knowledge of varna and ashrama and there is complete chaos in the society. So that is what Arjuna is referring here, Jati Dharma, and he is saying that if this is the Varna Center, unwanted population comes, then there will be conflict. There will be a lot of conflict. And uh, that shouldn't happen. That, that really shouldn't happen. So, uh, within this Jati Dharma, there are uh, Varnas and there are subcaste also. Because uh, when you take, uh, for example, Kshatriya, a Kshatriya, although broadly speaking there is a Kshatriya, but within Kshatriya there are different categories. Like, for example, there is a foot soldier, he is also Kshatriya. There is a commander, he is also Kshatriya. There is a politician, he is also Kshatriya. So even in the Brahmanical, Brahmanical culture, in the Brahmana Varna, there are again categories. There are somebody who is very expert in Patana Patana, Ejana Yajana. They are expert in doing Vedic rituals and all those things. Some people are very expert in giving knowledge. So again, there are a lot of sub-categories and sub-jatis. When we don't fit into this proper hierarchy or the proper structure, social structure, then at an individual level, a person is not happy. So that is what he is saying that Kula Dharma Shashwataha. So he is using this word Shashwataha here, but Kula Dharma itself is not Shashwataha. We have understood that in the previous shloka. So let's go to the next third shloka, the 43rd shloka, and that's very interesting. Utsanna Kula Dharma Utsanna Kula Dharma Manushyanam Janardana Manushyanam Janardana Narke Niyatam Vaso Narke Niyatam Vaso Bhavatityanu Shushruma Bhavatityanu Shushruma Wonderful, let's do that once again Utsanna Kula Dharmana Utsanna Kula Dharmana Manushyanam Janardana Narakeniyatam vaso, Narakeniyatam vaso, Bhavatityanushushuma, 
get rid of the cycle of punarapi jananam punarapi maranam if you want to escape the cycle of birth old age disease and death then this is the planet this is where we can actually transform ourselves and go to the spiritual world so now this kind of understanding that eternally i will be in heaven or hell is also adopted by the jihadis the terrorists so the jihadis uh, they very firmly believe that oh yes by killing lot of people we will go to heavens and in the heavens we will have lot of self gratification for eternity and also similarly there are lot of people in christianity who believe that oh if i do a lot of simple things then i will go to the hellish planet and i will suffer in the hellish planet for eternity so that is not supported by the vedas the vedas do not support this concept of eternity within this material world so within this material world there is nothing shashvataha so arjuna is here saying narake niyatam vaso so it is not that niyatam vaso again he has to come back to this particular planet of we so that is the misunderstanding here and then very beautifully arjuna is now ending his he is ending his fourth reason of how there is the destruction of family traditions by the end of this 43 43rd word so here 43rd word is completing the four reasons why arjuna doesn't want to fight now next let's go to the very wonderful shloka and understand what is he going to say next ahopata mahat papam ahopata mahat papam kartum vyavasita avayam राज्य सुखलोभेन अहोपता राज्य सुखलोभेन हंसुम स्वजन मुद्यता Do you think that the Pandavas are greedy? 
No, not at all. Pandavas are not greedy. In fact, if you see and analyze the whole life of the Pandavas, they were so detached. Most of the time they actually had spent in the forest. Until this time of the war, they were born in the forest and then they were sent to the forest during the Varnavata uh, time. Uh, so much of things happened. And then again they were sent back to the forest after the gambling match. If you see, most of the time they have spent their time in the forest and they were quite contented and happy. They were not greedy people. But then, yet they are fighting this war not because of some property issue. Many people think that, oh, the Kauravas and the Pandavas are fighting because of some property issue. No, not at all. This is a Dharma Yuddha. This is not an unholy war just to assert some property. No, not at all. This is a Dharma Yuddha. This is a Yuddha fight to re-establish Dharma in the society, in the whole world. But Arjuna, because his misunderstanding, is now thinking, Oh, I have overpowered, I have been overpowered by Lobhena. I have become greedy and we shouldn't fight this. This is not good. This is unholy. And he thinks that by doing so, it's going to he is going to incur a lot of power. There is a lot of power that will come upon him. If you see, these Pandavas, rightfully speaking, Yudhishthira was the most qualified person to become the king. Out of all the Kauravas and the Pandavas, Yudhishthira was actually the right candidate to become the king and rule the kingdom. But then, he was not greedy. They wanted to establish Dharma. The Pandavas are very detached because they are the great devotees of the Lord. You should know this. They are not attached to any material things. But this war is actually is on the order of Krishna. Krishna wanted this mass destruction to happen because he wanted to wipe out all the adharmic elements from this battlefield of Kurukshetra like we had discussed in the very first shloka of this chapter. So that is why we need to understand that this war is not adharma yuddha, it is dharma yuddha. It is based, it is placed, it is done on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. So this is quite straightforward. So we have two more shlokas. So let's uh, complete the next two shlokas and that will be really very nice. Yadi maam apratikaram Yadi maam apratikaram Ashastram shastrapaneha Ashastram shastrapaneha Dhatarashtra rane hanyos Dhatarashtra rane hanyos Tanme shemataram bhave once again, Yadi maam apratikaram Yadi maam apratikaram Ashastram shastrapaneha Ashastram shastrapaneha Atarashtra rane hanyo Atarashtra rane hanyo Tanme shemataram bhave Tanme shemataram bhave Please repeat the translation. 
I would consider I would consider it better for the sons of Dhritarashtra it better for the sons of Dhritarashtra to kill me unarmed to kill me unarmed and unresisting and unresisting rather than fighting with them rather than fighting with them thank you so much thank you very much यदि अशस्त्रम So there is 
no proper sync between his thoughts and actions right now and that is what is causing a lot of stress within Arjuna and this happens with all of us also many times this happens to all of us we become confused of our duties we are totally unaware what is right and wrong and when we are not placed or we are not on the platform of knowledge we can take some actions we can perform some actions which can ultimately bring a lot of pain to us so that is why Arjuna is in a situation where he is completely confused he is not ready to do any fight now he is saying enough is enough I don't want to fight he is thinking this is good for me let me get killed and now let's go to the last verse of chapter 1 so these are quite straightforward verses and in the last verse of chapter 1 let's understand what Sanjaya is going to say now Sanjaya is going to come back and he is going to address Dhritarashtra so this is what is happening with Arjuna so very beautifully Sanjaya is now explaining the problem of Arjuna Sanjaya Uvacha Evam Muktva Juno Sankhe Rato Pasta Upavisha Vistrija Sasaram Chapam Shoka Sambiknamanasa Once again, let's do that. Sanjaya Vacha Evam Bukva Juna Sankhe Rato Pasta Upavisha Vistrija Chasharam Chapam Shoka Sambiknamanasa Sanjaya said, Sanjaya said, Arjuna, Arjuna, having thus spoken on the battlefield, having thus spoken on the battlefield, cast aside his bow and arrows, cast aside his bow and arrows, and sat down on the chariot, and sat down on the chariot, his mind overwhelmed with grief. His mind overwhelmed with grief. Thank you so much. So now this is a, a very interesting shloka and Sanjaya is back into the picture and he is saying that evam bhukva juna sankhe rato pasta upavishat So what Arjuna has done now? After giving all these arguments Arjuna has kept his bow and arrow aside on the chariot and is sitting down he is sitting down When Arjuna is sitting down He is indicating to Krishna That I don't want to fight So this is an indication now Where Arjuna is saying My dear Krishna I am confused And I don't want to fight Because this is a very terrible situation I definitely don't want to I don't want to fight in this war. So now, 
this is where we should know that Arjuna who has now kept his bow down in the last words of the first chapter Arjuna has now kept his bow down but in the last words of the 18th chapter the same Arjuna is going to pick up his bow back and fight with the Kauravas. Very interesting, isn't it? So what does the 18th chapter last verse say? Very beautifully, the same Sanjaya who has now said that Arjuna is sitting down without lifting his bow and arrow. Sanjaya is saying in the last verse of the Bhagavad Gita, he is saying that Yatra Yogeshwaro Krishno Yatra Parto Dhanurdaraha Tatra Shreer Vijayo Bhutir Dhruvani Dhir Mama So wherever there is Krishna and wherever there is Arjuna, there will be victory, there will be good fortune. So that is what Sanjaya is saying, the same Sanjaya is saying. So now what happened between this first chapter and the 18th chapter. What did Arjuna get so wonderful that his whole perception changed? It is a very paradigm shifting knowledge. Bhagavad Gita is a paradigm shifting knowledge. It's not an ordinary knowledge. So right now, when we look at the world, we have a certain perception of the world. But when we understand this knowledge and assimilate this knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita, what will happen is, it will be a paradigm shifting for us also. We will start seeing the world without any filters of our perception. We will become free from all the different perceptions that we have. We will become crystal clear in our understanding of the world, understanding our own self. And that is what will happen to Arjuna also. So my dear listeners and devotees, The essence of the Bhagavad Gita, if you take the whole Bhagavad Gita, the essence of the Bhagavad Gita is love. Although this whole Bhagavad Gita has a lot of philosophical concepts, but the real essence of the Bhagavad Gita is love. We understood in the previous session how the dharma of the soul is to serve and to love. Each one of us, every living entity expresses an attitude of service and attitude of love. We all are having a deep longing within our heart to love someone and to be loved by someone, isn't it? We all want to love someone and we want to be loved by someone. That is the core, innermost feeling that we have. And Bhagavad Gita is actually going to reveal this reality of love to us. Love is a reality. It is not simply some feeling and emotion. It is a reality. But to understand this reality of love, this message of Bhagavad Gita will transform our hearts, which is right now filled with so much of material dirt. Lust, greed, anger, envy, pride, illusion, all these things have covered our heart 
and it is not able to we are not able to express our love completely to the lord and to people and because of this covering because of lust greed and anger the love that we express is not love our love is only skin deep i repeat that again our love in this material world is only skin deep it means we are attracted only to the skin beyond the skin we don't know what is love so that is why the knowledge of the bhagavad gita is important because it will not it will penetrate to penetrate through the skin and give us the knowledge of that which resides within our body the soul the spirit soul and that is where our love will manifest when we understand the knowledge of the bhagavad gita right now our love is mystery we want to love but we are loving someone who either doesn't love us or that person also loves me but then it is temporary in this world at one particular time of point of time it will end it will not continue further this is the nature of this material world that is why this knowledge of the bhagavad gita is extremely important and the culmination of our love is in krishna when our love gets refocused or redirected towards krishna the supreme lord from whom we are all originating then that is the real culmination of our love that is the real purpose of our love that we have so the essence of the bhagavad gita is actually love although there is lot of war that is going to happen there is a ghastly war that is going to take place but then the real purport of bhagavad gita is to love and that is what happens to arjuna some of you must be thinking prabhu ji you are saying this but then in practical life uh, how you know how do i express my love and how do i understand what is good for me and what is bad for me now arjuna was very fortunate because he could get the direction of uh, krishna directly face to face but we are not that fortunate that krishna is present before us and we can clarify our doubts then how do we clarify our doubts that is why this bhagavad gita is non different from krishna the words emanating from krishna's mouth is not different from krishna himself so the bhagavad gita the book that you have is actually the incarnation of krishna the bhagavad gita is not simply a book it is krishna himself so when you read and understand the bhagavad gita when you hear bhagavad gita you are actually coming in contact with krishna what a wonderful thing it is so when we understand this bhagavad gita which we are already starting to do it's an amazing thing it's an amazing thing that we are doing right now you may not realize what you are actually going through but i am telling you by the end of understanding bhagavad gita by reading bhagavad gita you will see there is so much of clarity and joy that will come into your life this is guaranteed but the question one more question may come and arise in your mind oh by the way arjuna is right now he is uh, fighting and he is in the midst of uh, war i am not facing any war i am happy with my family i am really 
enjoying my life, so why should I understand Bhagavad Gita? Isn't it? Some people may ask this question. You may also have this question. It is very nicely said, there is a quote which says, In peace, prepare for war, and in war, prepare for peace. I repeat that again. In peace, prepare for war, and in war, prepare for peace. So right now, we may be very happy. We may be enjoying our life. But mind you, the world and the time that is affecting us is not going to keep us happy all the time. Each one of us in our life will have to face some difficulties in our life, some painful situations in our life, just like Arjuna. Just like Arjuna, we all will face difficult situations in life. And that is when we have to have this knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita. So that is why it is good that in this peaceful situation, you prepare for war. How? By understanding this concept, the philosophical truth, the spiritual knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita, it will prepare you to face any challenges in life. And this is truth. When you understand and you start practicing the principles, when Bhagavad Gita becomes a very integral part of your life, you can face any problems in life, any situations in life. The toughest of the situations in life you can face when you have this knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita. The greatest fear and the danger that we have is death, fear of death. But the knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita will uproot the very core of fear and that is death. It will completely uproot the misunderstanding of this bodily identification. So very beautiful, very beautiful this knowledge is and I am really excited to really share this knowledge with all of you because it is so wonderful because now the problem statement is very clear. We all have got a problem statement and we understood what is the problem and now in the next chapter Krishna, the Supreme Lord, my most beloved Lord is going to speak to each one of us. He is going to reveal the beautiful knowledge and he is going to chastise Arjuna. Very nicely he will chastise Arjuna and he is going to change Arjuna's perception. And as we are understanding Bhagavad Gita, it will change our perception also. I am sure all of you want to be happy, isn't it? I am sure you are all coming here because at least by understanding this knowledge, to some extent you will start implementing it and then you will become happy. And I am sure it will help all of us. It is very very powerful. It has helped me actually, I can see so much of change in my own life. When I am going through this whole journey of Bhagavad Gita and understanding Bhagavad Gita, the more I dive deeper into this, the more deeper I am going. My understanding of the Bhagavad Gita a few years ago and now is completely different. And I feel, oh my God, the very first chapter which I had read about a decade ago and I am reading it now, my understanding is totally different. So, it is a never-ending process. You just can dive deeper and deeper and deeper into Bhagavad Gita. That is how wonderful this is. It's very, very beautiful. It is not like the material world, the material job, which after some enjoyment it will end. No, this is not going to end. I'm sure you all are looking for that eternal, everlasting love and joy, that bliss. And that is possible 
by understanding the Bhagavad Gita. So now uh, I am opening up for question answers and uh, I want to take some question answers if you have any. I will definitely uh, take these questions and uh, let us, based on the discussion that we had today, you can feel free to ask me questions or if you have no questions then I have some uh, quiz for all of you. On the first chapter we have uh, gone through a lot of things, we have discussed so much of things but uh, at the same time it should not be that there is a bypass. You know, you hear and you leave. So today I am going to test all of you how much has really stayed within the two years, between the two years. So, <clears throat> it will be very interesting. So, think about the questions and if you have any questions, let me see the chat section here. Okay, so Chaitanya is asking, then what is moksha understood? What is good and bad karma and rebirth concept? Fantastic. So Chaitanya, when I earlier mentioned about the concept of Trilokya, see Moksha doesn't mean I get elevated to the heavenly planets or I get demoted to the hellish planets. No. There is progressive rebirth, there is regressive rebirth. Progressive rebirth is going to the spiritual world or the heavenly planets. The regressive rebirth is going to the hellish planets. But Bhagavad Gita is talking about transcending this whole material world. Because even heavens, even Brahma Loka, even Swarga Loka is all the part of this material world, this Anda, Brahmanda. It's all within this Brahmanda. Now what Krishna is telling Arjuna is, you don't have to be within this Brahmanda. You have to escape this Brahmanda which is even beyond the Swarga and Brahma Loka. And that is the spiritual world. So there is a complete different world altogether where there is no birth, no old age, no disease and no death. That is the world where we all belong to. Unfortunately, we are here in this Brahmanda, stuck up in this Brahmanda, continuously repeating birth, sometimes enjoying in the heaven, sometimes enjoying in the uh, hellish planets and sometimes enjoying and suffering in this middle planetary system. No. So moksha means transcending or going beyond this material world into the spiritual world that is called moksha, liberation. So anything within this material world is not moksha. It is not moksha. So I hope that clarifies your question. And uh, Hina ma'am is asking, Prabhuji, regarding the Varna system, why was Karna and Ekalavya refused to be taught by gurus like Drona due to their caste, lineage? It goes against the system of Guru finding the inclination, player of the student. Fantastic, very good question. Now, let us take the example of Karna. When Karna approached Dronacharya, he thought that it is my birthright. By the way, by the, by the way, at that point of time, even Dronacharya was not aware that he is a Kshatriya. Although Dronacharya saw that Karna was having the ability to fight, but his attitude was he didn't want to 
gain knowledge from dronacharya for using that knowledge for dharma but he just wanted to compete with arjuna and he wanted to prove himself to be the greatest in the world there was a pride there was a pride in karna that i am the greatest so many times guru also identifies when there is a pride then guru will not teach guru will have different lessons for the student so when we approach a guru we should approach the guru in a very humble attitude and that was very clear you see when karna did not get knowledge from dronacharya he said oh if not dronacharya i will go to parishurama i will go there that was his attitude you see that is pride so if if what if it's okay it's okay let me not get dronacharya uh, as my guru let me accept parushrama and that is why he rejected he was he left dronacharya and he went directly to parushrama because he was thinking anyway i have another another option so this kind of attitude is not good and this was identified dronacharya dronacharya could clearly see that karna was approaching him with pride to prove himself to be the greatest and wanted to compete with others so that is not a good attitude of a student so that is karna's karna's uh, position why dronacharya rejected that is number 1 and that was definitely not based on uh, based on his uh, uh, varna because dronacharya was dronacharya was a very learned brahmana he definitely did not discriminate between anyone but in karna's situation because of pride he had to reject karna but now coming to the question of ekalavya a very interesting thing ekalavya no doubt he was very devout and although dronacharya did not teach him in the presence of the kauravas and the pandavas dronacharya also had taken this teaching profession exclusively for the kaurav family the pandavas and the kauravas so he didn't wanted anybody else also to uh, come into the guru uh, in his uh, under his shelter because it was uh, funded by the kauravas and it was exclusively meant only for the pandavas and the kauravas on the order of bhishma that was another reason but although it is said that dronacharya rejected ekalavya it is not true dronacharya in front of his other disciples he rejected ekalavya but since he has taken the the, the thumb of ekalavya the guru dakshina he actually thought he actually thought uh, ekalavya also the signs of archery in a mountain i forgot that uh, it's beating my memory right now so uh, there is a mountain where dronacharya thought ekalavya also which is generally not shown in the tv shows in the tv mahabharata and all we make it uh, it is uh, very dramatic and uh, they don't show all these details but the scriptures explain that how dronacharya actually thought even ekalavya but another reason why dronacharya didn't want to teach ekalavya is also because this ekalavya he was belonging to the lower caste that time he was basically a tribal and if by getting this knowledge of archery he was going to fight against the pandavas in the future 
and that happened this very same ekalavya he fought against krishna when uh, jarasandha was uh, attacking krishna in dwaraka this ekalavya also participated on the side of jarasandha and he fought against krishna so that is why we should be very careful a guru should identify not just his varna not just his inclination but also should see where will this person use this knowledge and direct this knowledge so that is why a guru's responsibility is not just to impart knowledge but also to ensure that the student uses this knowledge in dharma for the dharmic process not for a dharma but ekalavya we fought against the supreme god can you imagine so these details are generally not given or shown in the tv serials so we should be uh, we should understand scriptures from the acharya so madhvacharya explains very beautifully all these intricacies in his mahabharata tatpar nirnaya why karna was rejected because of his pride and ekalavya was also although he was taught but he was still not taught within the circle because it was very well known to dronacharya he is going to use it against the lord so that is not what guru guru means one who brings the disciple and the lord closer to each other but here ekalavya was against the lord so that is one reason why dronacharya did not teach him in the present law the other pandavas and kauravas so hope that answers your question are there any questions all right so good very nice thank you so much so we will leave now please take care be safe we will meet again next sunday take care